Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes, I always do, every time we get together. I want 90 minutes to give you the world, helping you to understand the current events that are unfolding in light of the prophetic Word of God. I've got a team of broadcast partners spread all across the world. They're going to join me at this broadcast table to help you understand some of these events. Up first is going to be Ken Timmerman. He's at the Catbird seat in Washington, D.C. We'll get to Ken in a moment. After that, David Dolan has a Middle East news update. Hamas is saying their protesters are peaceful, and then they call for the killing of every single Jew. Sounds contradictory to me. And then we're going to have John Rood a report on the European Union, where they're saying Brexit or Armageddon. You'll have to understand that headline when we get together. Following that, we're going to have Mike Gendron, who's going to tell us about a group who are trying to do away with the Reformation. And after that, then, we're going to bring David James We're going to be talking about the blood, moons, and earthquakes. A lot of earthquakes in Israel. The Jewish people are asking, what does this all mean? You don't want to miss any of this broadcast. After the broadcast is over today, we head north up towards Boston. We'll be actually in Plymouth, Massachusetts. We start production on a brand new DVD documentary entitled, Where is the United States in Bible Prophecy? That's the most asked question that I get any time I have a prophecy Q&A. We're going to show you the foundations of America. They may not be in Bible prophecy, but they sure have made some decisions that help the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. For example, what about the fact that Donald Trump is headed for a summit with President Rouhani of Iran? And Israel, Prime Minister Netanyahu, was caught completely by surprise. So, Ken, there's our first issue. What about this? Do you think it's going to happen? I don't think it's locked in totally yet. Do you think it will happen? Uh, It's definitely not locked in at all. It's right now in the stage of advanced rumor. And, of course, the president himself has fed the rumor by saying publicly he would meet with the Iranians any time they wanted and without preconditions. There's a tremendous debate going on inside Iran today whether they should meet with him at all. Interestingly, a top aide to the supreme leader, actually the director of his intelligence office, a mullah called Matek Nuri, has come out publicly and saying we should have this meeting. It would be good to do so. Others inside the Revolutionary Guards are strongly opposed to it. Look, I am skeptical. I, I think there are more obstacles than there are uh, advantages, and there's a, a, a potential downside. The president has hinted that he wants to negotiate a new nuclear agreement with the Iranians. And, of course, the president is a, is a great negotiator. He sees himself as that. He, he constantly talks about it. He has called the Iran nuclear deal the worst deal ever negotiated by any American administration and prides himself on being able to negotiate a better deal. My sense is that what would be a better deal for the United States would be an unacceptable deal for the Iranian regime. So I think there are actually more obstacles in the way to this happening 
then there are uh, chances of it taking place. You know, it's interesting to me. This seems like the mode of operation for the Trump administration. If you want to talk to a crazy leader in this world, just say, hey, I'm ready to talk. Let's sit down and have a conversation. That was his mode in his foreign policy towards North Korea and Kim Jong-un. Maybe he's following the same game plan, the playbook for this one as well. Lots else to talk about as it relates to Iran. Their forces are not going to withdraw from the Israeli border there in the Golan Heights, according to the envoy from Russia, who said, we just can't force them. We can't make them to do that. Well, that's right. And and that seems to be the Russian line these days. They have decided that they're not going to put any pressure on the Iranian regime in Syria. At the same time, they are not going to restrain Israel from taking whatever military steps the Israelis feel are important to protect their own security and to prevent the Iranians from getting uh, actually on the Golan Heights. So essentially, you've got a stalemate. Uh, You've got a stalemate with the Iranians ensconced in Syria. They have an estimated 70,000 troops, half of them Iranian Revolutionary Guards, the other half from Hezbollah, from Iraq, and from Pakistan, Pakistan and Afghani uh, Shiites. So they have a very large physical presence in Syria. They don't want to leave the country. They see it as a way of um, keeping any anti-regime efforts in Iran from reaching them. In other words, fight them over there and not at home. That is their idea. Uh, the same way, the same as we used to say in the war on terror, better to fight them overseas than to fight them here inside the United States. You know, that is a great concept as well. But Iran is not only very active there in Syria, in the Golden Heights, just north of the Israeli-Syrian border. But they're also in the area of the Persian Gulf. Now remember, Iran does focus and has a shoreline with the Persian Gulf. But that's not as much concern as what they're doing. They're having military drills right now, exercises, and they're threatening to shut down the Straits of Hormuz, the exit point, the narrow opportunity for those tankers carrying all that oil for the rest of the world to get out. Do you think it's going to be possible for them to shut those Straits of Hormuz down, and would that cause a major war? Uh, Well, of course they could shut them down. It's not all that difficult. Look what happened just 10 days ago in the Bab al-Mandeb, which is the strait in between Yemen going into the Red Sea. It's a much wider strait, by the way, several times wider than the Strait of Hormuz. And all the Houthi rebels in Yemen had to do was fire a couple of missiles at two Saudi oil tankers. And the Saudi said, "Uh uh-oh, we're not going to send our oil through there, uh, put it at risk from getting hit. So they essentially shut down about four and a half million barrels a day of oil. Israel, by the way, has said that they will open up the Strait of the Bab el-Mandeb if the Houthis continue to fire on oil traffic, and they would join an international coalition to do so. The Strait of Hormuz is far more important, at least four times as much oil, over 18 million barrels a day go through the Strait of Hormuz. And the Iranians are taking the position that if the United States imposes an embargo of sorts on our oil exports, so we can't export our oil through the Strait of Hormuz, then nobody will be able to use the the Strait of Hormuz uh, for the export of oil. That is their official position. Now, Jimmy, let's walk this back 
just a little bit. The Iranians have said this many times in the past, okay? They have repeatedly threatened to block the Strait of Hormuz. What I think is going to be interesting to watch are these military exercises that you mentioned. How close, if at all, will they get to U.S. naval forces in the Persian Gulf and in the Strait? Uh, Will they take a confrontational position as they have uh, during the Obama administration, or will they continue their sort of military stand-down with the United States? President Trump tweeted out, don't forget, two weeks ago, that the Iranians have not attacked or confronted a U.S. naval warship since August of 2017, since basically, he, you know, shortly after he took office. So the Iranians have really backed down a lot. They had 32 encounters with U.S. warships in the last year of Obama. They've really stepped down a lot. I think they're worried that this president uh, is going to be a lot tougher to deal with. And that's also why I think uh, they are really unlikely to agree to a summit meeting with him. Yeah, because uh, the president of Iran, Rouhani, by direction of the Supreme Council, who is the major leading force there in Iran politically, would most likely, as you say, not allow that to take place. Interesting note, though, just this sidebar for a moment, the entrance to the Red Sea is key to Syria, Jordan, Israel, and Egypt. And uh, it may not be as important as the Straits of Hormuz. I agree with that. But it's very much concerning for those four Middle Eastern states that I talked about. Talk to me about Russia's end game. I read a very interesting article that said the end game for Russia in Syria was possibly the opportunity to, for Iran to say, hey, we want the Ukraine. And uh, we want to take care of that. But Russia wants the Ukraine, and they've got a piece of it already, Crimea. Could that be a part of the end game for Russia there in Syria? Well, I, I think what you're seeing uh, really is, is a basically a chess game by Putin. The U.S. and Israel have both said to Russia they'd like Russian help in restraining Iran in Syria, in getting Iran to back away from the border. The Israelis want them back 85 kilometers, well over 50 miles, uh, and the Iranians have said no. And the Russians eventually, as we said at the top of the broadcast, uh, said, well, we can't really pressure the Iranians in Syria. They're here for their own reasons. Well, what Putin really wants is the U.S. to back off on Ukraine and to back off the sanctions on Ukraine. So this would be the deal that he is likely to seek, is we'll get the Iranians out of Syria if you lift the sanctions against us because of the occupation of eastern Ukraine. I don't think those conditions are acceptable to the Trump administration. Obviously, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. You've been using that phrase a lot. You got that, I think, from President Trump. We'll just have to see. But that is the truth. However, as you read the prophetic passages of God's word, you see how all these political activities we're talking about with Ken here are helping us understand much better how this world is coming together to fulfill those prophetic passages. And Ken, you are a major player in helping us to understand these current events. I'm so grateful that you give us some time when you can just have to clear your schedule for a moment and be with us. Thank you so much, my good friend. 
Thanks so much, Jimmy, and I wish I could be with you at that uh, Prophecy Conference. It would be great to uh, listen to you. David Dolan is standing by. He's going to give us a Middle East news update. That's upcoming in just a moment right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As promised, David Dolan standing by. He has a Middle East news update we're going to deal with. Keep the dial set right where it is. We're here in temporary studios as last week in Altoona, Pennsylvania. We have just concluded a five-day Bible conference. After the broadcast is over, Judy and I head out to Plymouth, Massachusetts. We're going to be doing another documentary. Where is the United States in Bible prophecy? That's the theme. And Paul Blair used to play with Chicago Bears, now pastors a church in Edmond, Oklahoma. He's going to fly in and join us. He's an expert on the Plymouth Plantation and William Bradford and the pilgrims that landed there and how they are the biblical basis for the United States of America. I'm giving you this information, first of all, so that you can pray for us as we do this production. And then if indeed you have an opportunity, when we have finished it up, you might want to get a copy of it. It's going to be very informative, and I just so appreciate if you will pray for us for the project. Well, now let's get to David Dolan. David, lots to talk about with you. First thing I want to bring to your attention, Hamas, that's the Islamic terror organization in the Gaza Strip. Hamas is claiming that their protests are peaceful. And then they turn around and call for the killing of every Jew in Israel. It seems to be somewhat of an inconsistency, doesn't it? 
Well, and Jimmy, even beyond their words, it's their actions that really count, and uh, they have definitely done very little at the least to stop the rioting that's been going on now for several months, uh, especially every Friday along the Gaza border. In recent weeks, they've done a bit more, but before that, they just looked the other way and, in fact, encouraged it. It's not just the rioting. It's the hundreds of forest and field fires that have been started, the drones that have been sent over, and, of course, we've continued to have rocket fire periodically during this period from Gaza, which Hamas controls. The Israelis just don't even listen to that sort of talk anymore because, as Prime Minister Netanyahu warned Hamas two weeks ago, it's your actions we're watching, your actions are nefarious, we're tired of it, get ready, we can end this completely. And uh, Lieberman, the defense minister, echoing that, you may be about to be thrown out of power. And, of course, that's while the international community is debating whether the same might happen to Iran, so uh, the sponsor of Hamas. So interesting times indeed. Well, speaking of Iran, let's continue our questioning of you for your Middle East news update, David, with the information that President Donald Trump is headed for a summit with the Iranian President Rouhani. Meanwhile, Israel was caught completely by surprise. Talk to us about this. Well, it's still tenuous uh, from my understanding, Jimmy, because, of course, at the same time, Iran on Friday launched over 100 small boats, sending them towards the Strait of Hormuz, and there is speculation that this time their exercise will go beyond the, the normal limits, because every fall... They do this exercise, but they've never actually closed the strait down. There's speculation they will do that this time, and also those exercises, quote-unquote, have been brought up into early August. So this could be an act of war. Obviously, if that happens, there won't be a summit meeting between President uh, Trump and anybody in Iran. But um, if this just turns out to be an exercise and nothing else happens, uh, if Iran restrains itself in Syria uh, and Hezbollah is restrained, then maybe such a summit would come. But yes, Donald Trump has a way of surprising everybody, uh, Jimmy. I guess uh, pretty much everyone knows that by now. (laughs) Yes, and this was his plan of operation as it relates to his summit with uh, Kim Jong-un there in North Korea may be the same program. I'm sure he'll be able to get in contact with the Prime Minister of Israel before the summit actually does unfold. Well, you were talking about the Iranians there at the Straits of Hormuz at the Persian Gulf exit into the rest of the world with the oil coming out of the Middle East. But Prime Minister brought to our attention The Iranians are going to move around the tip of Saudi Arabia and Yemen there. They're going to go over to the Red Sea. There's a narrow strait there, which brings all the ships into the Red Sea for Egypt, for Jordan, for Saudi Arabia, in fact, and in particular for Israel. The prime minister says if the Iranians try to block this entrance to the Red Sea, the Israeli Defense Force will be there ready to go in full force. Well, Jimmy, it was uh, the late uh, Egyptian leader Nasser's decision to block the same area that set off the Six-Day War. So uh, this is an act of war. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu's made that very clear. I think Donald Trump has made that clear, that uh, the closing of the Straits of Hormuz would shut off 
of course, Iranian oil exports, but it would shut off exports from all the Gulf states. Most of Saudi Arabia's export comes there. And then, as you said, the Red Sea, very strategic. Israel's only southern port, Eilat, is there. Uh, Aqaba, Jordan's port, is there. Uh, it's an act of war. Now, again, the speculation is that this time they may actually do these things. But why would they go to that extreme, Jimmy? Because they are concluding that war is coming anyway, even though there's talk, as you said, of a summit in peace or some type of way to get to that, that the chances are much more likely. And I was reading the Ynet Israeli news source this morning. They were saying that, that the analysts are saying this could be it, the big war, and the Iranians know that, so they may be taking a preemptive action that is indeed itself an act of war. The question, Jimmy, in Israel is, would that coincide with the unleashing of uh, hundreds of thousands of Hezbollah rockets, 150,000 at least we know are had, uh, aimed at Israel, and would that coincide with any action from Syria, etc.? So it's a very serious situation, as we've been talking about for a number of months now. It has not been resolved. David, I want you to update our listeners about what's happening just north of the Israeli-Syrian border on the Syrian Golan Heights side. A number of Islamic State terrorists have been killed by the Israeli Air Force. Talk to me about this and how bad this is really becoming there at Israel's northern border. Well, the worst part of that, Jimmy, was that they had successfully infiltrated across the border seven Islamic Jihad terrorists, and they were quickly, though very quickly, uh, wiped out by the Israelis, as you said. But it just shows that, indeed, these gathering Islamic militants right along Israel's Golan border, and they've been gathering there for the last month as Russia has been pounding the area with the air fire against the Arab Sunni uh, opponents of the Assad regime, and all of these radicals are there as well, Hezbollah and Iran and their forces, and then these other groups, Islamic Jihad, etc., so this just shows that some of them, at least, are going to try to cross that border into Israel. We had that Iranian general several weeks ago say, we're only just waiting for the order to do that from Tehran. So this shows that some are already starting. And again, Netanyahu has said, that's a red line. We're not going to allow you do anything to us. We're going to do something back that's much disproportional. Because, again, they're trying to prevent of this from happening. They're trying to prevent a war, and to be strong is the only way you do that in the Middle East. David, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu over the last month has made several trips to Moscow to meet with Vladimir Putin. He's encouraged the president of Russia to do what he could to get Iran out of Syria. Now a report that the Russian ambassador to Israel met with the prime minister and said there's no way that Russia can force Iran out of Syria. Give us the details on that report. Well, Jimmy, it's uh, it's not true. If Russia really wanted Iran out of Syria, they certainly have enough, uh, what can I say, enough influence over the Assad regime to basically force them to do that. It's in Russia's interest to have this war going on. Look what's happened. They've gone from being basically tossed out of Syria 
to now being a central player in the conflict and and hopefully in the peace process that will follow. They've revised their military bases there, etc. So they're they're winning in this, and Iran has played a vital part in assuring that Assad is still in power as well. So Russia's not going to slap their ally in the face, basically, is what it amounts to. But Netanyahu is going to continue to insist upon it. But, Jimmy, the likelihood is it will happen through military action. That is the bottom line, according to the prophetic word of God. David Dolan, he's covered the Middle East for over 35 years as a journalist. He is a partner with us, a broadcast partner here on Prophecy Today, par excellent. Keeps us informed, gives us the details behind the headlines coming out of the Middle East. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to have to take a break right now. When we come back at the bottom of the hour, we're going to be talking with a man who covers the European Union, the Middle East, a key region, also the European Union, a key region of this world for the end-time scenario of Bible prophecy. John Rood will give us his European Union update in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. I'm still here in temporary studios in Altoona, Pennsylvania. We'll be headed out to Boston, actually, going down south of Boston, Massachusetts, to Plymouth, Massachusetts. We begin on Sunday evening producing a DVD documentary that is going to answer the question, is the United States in Bible prophecy? I can tell you this much as a preliminary to what we're going to be doing. The possibility of the United States in Bible prophecy we'll look at in the Word of God. However, we do know the United States has played a key role in helping to establish Bible prophecy and its fulfillment, in particular, uh, the coming of the Jewish state. The reality, after so many years, 2,000 years, for the last 70 years, the Jewish state has been in place in the Middle East, a fulfillment for sure of Bible prophecy. Well, we just have finished the Central Pennsylvania Bible Conference here in Altoona. Five days, a great, great meeting, great music, good preaching. Well, I'm not the only preacher was there. Uh, Dave Kessler was there, and he's a fine preacher. 
We had some great times in the Word of God with the people, great crowds, so glad that we could participate, and you need to be praying that God will let revival break out here as the people recognize the days in which we're living and realize what they need to be doing in these the last days. We're going to go back now to our broadcast partners coming to this broadcast table. John Rood is one of those partners. He covers the entire European continent, but in particular the European Union. Having lived in Brussels, Belgium, headquarters for the EU for a number of years, John's on top of everything there. And John, let's get underway. The focus has to be on Brexit again this week. It does not seem to want to go away. And in fact, the United Kingdom Foreign Secretary has been warning to not allow for a messy EU divorce. I mean, this is only really telling the truth in what is happening today, is it not? The pressure is stepping up uh, concerning Brexit. And there's been a uh, media blitz here in the last week or so, basically giving an indication of quite sensational approach that there can be food shortages, medicines in, in difficult supply, airplanes grounded, troops in the streets, and so forth, giving a very dramatic picture if there's no agreement. There is also a pressure of the timing because... Uh, the idea is there's to be a deal that would allow time to ratify by the October summit in Brussels for the European Union. So that they need a deal by October to come through to ratify by the absolute deadline of March 29 next year. We mentioned last week when this first started hitting that this is, appears to me to be sort of a Y2K scare. Things are going to work out. It's not a question of all of these turmoil uh, situations. It also appears to me to be similar to um, German reunification. I was in Berlin in uh, 1988. I was walking along the wall with a long-term resident, very knowledgeable, and he said, he said, this wall could never come down. It would be total chaos. And then it was less than a year, and the wall had come down. And, of course, it was a bit confusing at the beginning, but it was an attitude to make it work and then look at the results of the German reunification now. So the fact is is that we are uh, literally, after 50 years of European Union integration, we have now reached the disintegration phase. That's beginning. You throw a ball in the air. It's going to reach the apex, and it's going to stop slightly. And so what we're seeing now is the feedback, the aftermath of this uh, great push against national sovereignties. So this picture that's being given about all the turmoil and confusion, you know, we'll have to reinstate the border checks. There might be a tariff, but so what? This is the normal operation for a sovereign nation. A no deal is a deal. This probably all is coming to some type of scare tactic. John, I sent you an opinion piece entitled Brexit or Armageddon. Now, I want to know what your opinion of that opinion piece is. However, just a few moments ago, as you were describing uh, the messy divorce there, it seemed like 
you were referring to some of the elements of the Armageddon. What are your thoughts about this piece? I think the the media as a whole is has taken an approach that was extremist about the possibilities of this chaos. Yet we see that the situations have to be dealt with in a very forthright manner. Actually, today, the U.K. Prime Minister May is meeting with the French President Macron in the south of France, trying to get them on board for a sort of soft Brexit agreement to see how it's uh, good for everybody. The, the talk of Armageddon here is, is certainly exaggerated, but and, ironically, the point is, is prophetically, the European Union disintegration is a highly uh, significant point. So in a sense, it's leading in Bible prophecy, but not in the direct sense of their saying of the confusion of Brexit. That will be overcome. Uh, and it's already being done behind closed doors, you can be certain. And meanwhile, there in the United Kingdom, anti-Semitism is becoming a real problem for the United Kingdom Labor Party, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, the leader. And in fact, he praised Hamas terrorists as brothers on Iranian television. Talk to me about these two events. This is not a side issue. This is actually becoming a very dramatic situation now for the Labor Party in the United Kingdom. It's basically tearing itself apart over the issue of their leader, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, who has campaigned for the Palestinian cause his entire career. Everyone knows Jeremy Corbyn has anti-Semitic views. This has been his his entire identity and uh, membership, so to speak. They actually tried to do a smokescreen on this whole idea, and they're working on actually what is the definition for uh, anti-Semitism. That's a very, very hokey way to approach that when you just come and make your own definition. It becomes a double talk and a distraction. It's a democratic socialist left political group, but you could really underline socialist in that. Today, there was actually a meeting that had planned to be at the Jewish Museum in London for him to give a speech on anti-Semitism, but really they went back and forth. They couldn't reach an agreement, and uh, that has been canceled because uh, he's appearing insincere in that. His history in the past, he had called Hezbollah and Hamas friends. Uh, he had come up uh, years ago on Iranian TV calling Hamas brothers, and he's also on record uh, saying that the British government labeling of Hamas as a terrorist group is, quote, a big, big mistake. This week in the United States, they held a conference, the Vice President and the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. They got together to talk about religious freedom around the world, but in addition to that, religious persecution. And, of course, uh, the vice president said it happens in free countries as well, not only those Islamic countries. Quickly respond. Anti-Semitism is growing in the European Union, which, of course, leads us to a prophetic scenario when all the Jews will leave Europe and go to Israel in the last days. Vice President Pence has been very forthright. Uh, This is not the only time. And he's been a spokesman and giving awareness on this situation. Sometimes we think that 
authoritarian governments are the only source of persecution, but we know that there is a growing trend of anti-Semitism in Europe and the European Union, Eastern Europe, so forth. We've seen uh, many instances, but he's brought that out in this conference, which is remarkable. There's uh, government officials from 80 countries. I think a takeaway here is that President Trump is is really keeping his word in terms of religious freedoms. Uh, in the campaign, you remember, he said that no one is standing up for the Christians, and uh, I'll be able to stand up for you. He is keeping his word on that, and the vice president has been a voice for awareness concerning anti-Semitism. And uh, it's a trend that will continue, but we see it's in the forefront and being developed. That's the voice of John Rood talking to us about what's happening in the European Union. We give you this information because it's a precursor to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. We talk politics, it leads to prophecy, the fulfillment of it. John, thank you so much for the report, good friend. We'll talk again next week. My pleasure, thank you. You know, the European Union update is always a key part of the broadcast because we need to understand how the European Union, at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, is making political decisions every day to set prophecy in place. So appreciate John Rood. Well, here's another man we appreciate, Mike Gendron. He has a ministry basically to the largest evangelistic outreach field in the world, the people of the Catholic Church. He's endeavoring, he was a a former Catholic, endeavoring to try to reach out to these people who need Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And uh, I understand, Mike, that uh, you and your dear wife are ready to get on an airplane soon after the broadcast is over, head out to Europe for your annual Reformation tour. Is that correct? Well, that's correct, Jimmy. Last year we took... uh a bunch of people to Germany and Switzerland walking in the footsteps of Martin Luther and John Calvin. People wanted to continue it, so we're going back to Scotland this year, and we'll walk in the footsteps of John Knox and see how he single-handedly, of course, with God's help, actually uprooted Roman Catholicism from the country of Scotland. Wow. Well, I wanted you to report on that because it leads right in to the discussion I want to have. I got your newsletter the other day, and I noticed that there was an article about someone trying to reverse that Reformation, and his name was Pope Francis. Now, he has just concluded an ecumenical pilgrimage to Geneva uh, to endeavor to try to reverse the Reformation. Tell us what this is all about. Well, this is really, I think, the number one priority of Pope Francis. He's pushing the ecumenical agenda forward faster than any other previous pope. This is his goal. He is a Jesuit, and the Jesuit's goal is to unite all of professing Christianity under the power and influence of the pope. So he's doing everything in his power to push this agenda along at a very rapid pace. And so... The irony of him meeting in Geneva in front of the uh, patriarchs from the World Council of Churches, this is actually the city where the Reformation fire was lit 500 years ago by John Calvin and, of course, Martin Luther in Germany. So it's really amazing that he's going to the very city that was so instrumental in separating 
born-again Christians from the Roman Catholic religion, and that was through, of course, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who repented from the Roman Catholic system of salvation and believed the true gospel, they were born again. And this all took place because the Word of God was placed back in the hands of the people. And so Pope Francis, who went to Geneva to celebrate the 70th anniversary of what is now the largest and broadest ecumenical fellowship in the world, the World Council of Churches. Now, Jimmy, the Catholic Church is not a member of the World Council of Churches. It's primarily made up of all the liberal Protestant denominations. And so these are just as apostate as the Roman Catholic Church. And so it's no surprise, then, that they welcome the Pope to come and talk about unity among the 350-member churches. One of the thoughts that Pope Francis brought to this convention of these people trying to unite was that a divided world begs for a unity, especially among Christians. Now, you're talking about the World Council of Churches. Uh, They almost sound like pagans, many of them, probably most of them, not even born again, the Pope and all the other Catholics not born again. How can you get any unity among Christians if nobody at the table is Christian? Well, here's the common bond. Both Roman Catholicism and the liberal Protestant apostate denominations all believe in a works righteousness salvation. They have denied the gospel of grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, and they believe they can get to heaven by doing certain things rather than trusting in what Christ has already done. And it's really interesting that he is talking about the vision and how it goes against the will of God. This pope um, is either ignorant of what the Bible teaches or he is purposely trying to deceive people because the true head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, spoke in Matthew chapter 10, verses 33 and 34. He said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. So clearly the Lord Jesus came to divide, not to unite. His prayer in John 17, which the Roman Catholic Church often uses as its credence for bringing unity among Christians, that prayer in John 17 was to have unity in the truth of God's Word. And this Pope has denied the truth of God's Word in many of his statements since he's been the head of the Roman Catholic Church. Some of the statements he has made that go against the Word of God He says that atheists will make it to heaven. He says there is no hell. He says that capital punishment is against the Word of God. All of these things are actually against God's will. And the Pope, I can see why Martin Luther and the Reformers called him Antichrist, that is the papacy, because they disregard the supreme authority of God's Word and instead They give their own opinions as to how the church must be run. And bottom line, God's Word is what does bring unity, the doctrine taught through the Word of God. Well, let me ask you this. You were talking about John 17. What about Revelation 17? Is what we've been talking about in this conversation together, Mike, simply a precursor to the fulfillment of Revelation 17 and the false church? 
Well, you're right, Jimmy. In fact, when the rapture of the true church of Jesus Christ is taken to heaven, then the only thing left will be the apostate professing church made up of Roman Catholics and all the liberal apostate denominations. And so there will be no restraining force. The body of Christ will be removed, and the Holy Spirit that's been sealing and indwelling them will be taken to heaven. And so we know that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, but the restraining force of the true church will be removed, and so the ecumenical agenda will go forth without any restraint and we see that this is indeed a precursor, the coming together of all Christians that don't know the truth of God's Word. And I think it's a good question to ask those who may be listening to your program, is divine division and truth infinitely better than satanic unity and error? Because it's the goal of Satan to rebuild the religious tower of Babel, and he's using the papacy to do that. He is a pawn of the devil. But we need to remain separate. We need to remain sanctified by the truth. We cannot have unity with Roman Catholics because we are divided on so many essentials. In, in fact, we're divided on the gospel. We're divided on how one is born again. Rome says it's through water baptism. We know it's through the work of the Spirit. We're divided on how one is justified the Bible clearly says it's by faith in Christ, but Rome says, no, it's by faith plus works. We're even divided on how one is purified of sin. The Bible says it's the precious blood of Jesus, but yet Rome says, no, it's the purging fires of purgatory. We're divided on who can mediate between God and man. The Bible says clearly there is only one, God's perfect man and man's perfect God, but Rome says, no, there are many mediators. You can go through our priest, or you can go through another sinless mediator named Mary. So the bottom line, we're divided on the efficacy, the sufficiency, and the necessity of Jesus Christ. And so more than ever, born-again Christians must remain sanctified by the truth. We must contend earnestly for the purity and the exclusivity of the gospel and thwart the ecumenical movement that Pope is trying to push. Well, that is a very important word you've just given us. And, Mike, so much are you and your ministry needed to try to win the Catholics to Jesus Christ, but then to inform the true body of Christ what really is happening and how true unity is It's focused on the Word of God and the doctrine taught therein. Mike, you guys have a wonderful trip to Europe on your Reformation tour, and we'll talk again real soon. Okay, Jimmy, keep looking up. Our redemption is nigh. Amen. Hallelujah for that. Well, we're going to take a moment right now in this broadcast for you to have an opportunity to get your prophecy question answered. Jim Jr., our oldest son, will come to the broadcast table now and give us a question from one of our listeners. Be sure to send your questions in. But Jim, give us that question for today. Nancy Kenneth sends in a question. Can you tell us when the future 40 years of desolation of Egypt will occur? Before the rapture, during the tribulation, what is the timeline for this event? In your opinion, what event will occur to cause the desolation? Well, let me just say, Nancy, uh, you've made some presumptions that I don't agree with. The first part of your question, can you tell us when the future 40 years 
of the desolation of Egypt will take place. If you'll read that entire chapter, and this is found always, by the way, if you're sending us a question, put in the passage of Scripture that Mm -hmm. you're dealing with. I do believe that uh, she has been dealing with the book of Ezekiel, chapter 29. I think that's what she's talking about because it does mention in Ezekiel chapter 29, verses 11 to 13, that there's going to be a 40-year period of time. Verse 13, Yet thus saith the Lord God, at the end of the 40 years will I gather the Egyptians from the people wherever they have been scattered. In verses 11, 12, and 13, it mentions the 40 years, and in verse 12, the desolate 40 years of period of time for the Egyptian people. But in the context, this is not talking about the future. I believe it's talking about the past. If you continue to read this chapter and go down to verse 17 and start reading from verses 17 all the way through verse 21, you see that it's talking about Nebuchadnezzar who is going to come and attack Egypt. You might remember that Nebuchadnezzar, he was the crown prince. Crown prince in 605 B.C., when he took Daniel and his three buddies into the captivity. Nebuchadnezzar was on his way. He came out of what it was Babylon, modern-day Iraq. He went into Syria. He was in the process of defeating the Assyrians when the Egyptians came up to join in the battle against Babylon. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's army defeated the Assyrians, and then he drove Egypt back down through that land bridge, which is modern-day Israel, into northern Africa, into Egypt. At that point in time, he devastated the Egyptians because this was key for him to be able to come to power as the empire would be developed, the Babylonian empire, because his father died, and then the crown prince, Nebuchadnezzar, would return to Babylon to become king of Babylon. So study the text in which you're asking the question from, Nancy. It's not talking about future. It's talking about the past. Nebuchadnezzar did scatter the Jews, took them out of Israel for 70 years. They were in the Babylonian captivity starting that 70 years in 605 B.C. It's the same time, I believe, as the text seems to indicate when we're talking about the 40 years of desolation for Egypt. So that happened in the past. It's not going to take place uh, during, uh, before the rapture, during the tribulation, or whenever. It happened in the past. Great point. Jerry Jode says there's a question. I know when the rapture occurs, we will be called up in the air to meet him in the sky. Will our flesh, our body fall dead and our spirits go to meet him uh, to be transformed? Well, indeed, there are three parts to each and every one of us, the body, the soul, and the spirit. If a person dies who is a Christian before the rapture of the church, then the soul and the spirit go immediately into the heavenlies. Second Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our bodies, if we die before the rapture, but go into a grave or maybe they're destroyed somehow in a fire or swept away in a tornado of some type, whatever, the body when the rapture takes place of dead Christians will be brought back together with those souls and spirits that have already gone into the heavenlies. At the same time, those of us, remember I quoted this just a few moments ago, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. 
over in First uh, Corinthians chapter uh, 15, verses 51 to 53. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. And so our bodies are going to become glorified in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, be a body like Jesus Christ. And that body, soul, and spirit, that glorified body, soul, and spirit will be taken into the heavenlies. And that's how we'll live throughout eternity. Here's a question uh, that kind of piggybacks off of that. Where are the dead in Christ right now, Dad? The dead in Christ are in the heavenlies. Second Corinthians chapter 5. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Those people who die not knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior go to Hades, and that is a holding area for all lost people. They will be resurrected. That will be the second resurrection, Revelation chapter 20, when they will be taken into the presence of Jesus at the great white throne judgment to be sentenced forever to the lake of fire. This is Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. But people who die in Christ will be caught up to be with him. Their bodies change into glorified bodies. And that soul and spirit that's already in the heavenlies will be brought back together with that body. We use prophecy. We use the study of the last days to motivate us to live pure and productive lives in this world and to evangelize, to to be about the work of telling others about Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Dad. And, and everybody, great questions coming in. We appreciate all your questions, and uh, hopefully our answers as we gave them to you will help you clearly understand Scripture. Uh, if you still got a question, bring your Bible, send another question in, a follow-up question. We'll be glad to answer those on the program. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we've got David James standing by. Very interesting conversation about blood moons and earthquakes in Israel. You don't want to miss it. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Weekend. We're here in temporary studios in Altoona, Pennsylvania, have just completed a five-day Bible conference. The Central Pennsylvania Bible Conference, actually almost 100 years old, started 100 years ago with the first speaker as Lewis Sperry Schaefer. He set the standard, and down through the years, there have been those men who could handle the Word of God and were able to teach the people in this region actually what God wanted them to know. This year, the focus was on Bible prophecy. I had the privilege of being one of two speakers. The other one, David Kistler and myself, both of us taking the Word of God, looking prophetically at what it says, and warning the people of the events that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And actually, I believe that fulfillment is not too far down the road. Well, we're so glad to have had the opportunity to be here. Thank you for praying for us. 
I ask you to do that. Right after the broadcast, Judy and I head to Plymouth, Massachusetts. We're going to be producing a DVD documentary entitled, Is the United States in Bible Prophecy? We're going to show how the United States has played a key role in helping to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, and then we'll answer the question, Is the United States in Bible Prophecy? Pray for the team as we go to Plymouth for the purpose of starting one of the sections of this DVD documentary. When you get a chance, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There you'll be able to answer my poll question. It's on the home page on the left-hand column if you'll scroll down. Here's the question. Do the recent earthquakes in Israel and the major lunar eclipse have anything to do with prophecy about to be fulfilled, or are they just a foretaste of things to come? That's the poll question. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Answer that question on my website, prophecytoday.com. We're now bringing to these microphones David James. I've already told you we're going to be talking about the blood moons and the earthquakes in Israel. There are a number of Jewish people who know Bible prophecy and are wondering, does this play in to that end-time scenario as foretold, for example, in the book of Joel? Well, I want to talk about that with our good buddy and broadcast partner, David James. We always have a conversation trying to help the body of Christ to better walk in the Lord and with the Lord each and every day. So, David, welcome to the broadcast. This week, a video was posted on the Israel Today website concerning the recent lunar eclipse and earthquakes in Israel uh, that suggested they could be signs of other end-time events. Your thoughts? Well, it's a, it's a good topic, and I'm glad that we're able to deal with it. And after doing some additional research, I found the speaker in the video who was not actually named on the Israel Today website. It turns out it's a guy named Hananya Naftali. I don't know a lot about him, but it's available on YouTube for people to consider. It was about just about a week ago today and, and yesterday that there was the most recent total lunar eclipse. Now, it wasn't viewable in uh, North America, but it was across the Middle East and other parts of the world. And this kind of goes along with some things that we'll talk about later that have been discussed earlier, and this idea of a total lunar eclipse because of the way light is diffused through the atmosphere of the Earth. During a total lunar eclipse, the moon turns a rusty color or a red color, depending on uh, exactly what is going on in, in, in the atmosphere at the particular time. So uh, there had also been some recent earthquakes in Israel, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But one of the things that we found in recent years, people are tying these lunar eclipses because the, bl- the moon turns uh, a reddish color. They think that this is somehow a fulfillment of prophecies that we find in, for example, Joel 2, Matthew 24, and Revelation 6. Well, for our listeners, David, who have been following our weekly discussions for a long time, they know that you wrote a book dealing with the so-called blood moon tetrad a few years ago. Talk to us about that. 
That's right. I wrote a book that came out published by the Berean Call, and it's actually still available through their website, the, the BereanCall.org. And it was entitled A Biblical Guide to the Shemitah and the Blood Moon. So it was actually a, a book that dealt with two different things. One, the Shemitah was a follow-up to my book on the Harbinger Factor Fiction, which dealt with the book The Harbinger by Jonathan Kahn, which came out in 2012. And actually, I think you and I may have actually been the breaking news story in, on that because we dealt with it just a couple of days after it came out on the 700 Club with an interview with Jonathan Kahn. Now, the Shemitah had to do with the idea that the United States has been following the Hebrew calendar in its economic cycles, and the Shemitah is, according to what Moses wrote in the Pentateuch, so it has to do with the Hebrew word that deals with the seventh year in the Jewish calendar where the land was to lay fallow, not to be planted, and all that. And the argument was that the United States has been going through these same cycles. At the same time, Jonathan Kahn also tied this issue to a series of four consecutive lunar eclipses that happened to occur on Jewish feast days, which we would think that they would since the Jewish calendar is both a solar and lunar calendar. And this built upon a theory that was first set forward by Mark Biltz and then picked up on by John Hagee, and they were arguing that uh, the end times would begin to be fulfilled as a result of these lunar eclipses where the moon uh, takes on a reddish color. So then, David, let's uh, help our listeners think through this issue of blood moons. Biblically, do you think that it's possible that these lunar eclipses are in any way a sign of the end times. Well, I think one of the things that's important for our listeners to understand, and it's a distinction that you have always made and something that I actually have learned from you, which has been very important, and is that there's a difference between things that might be setting the stage for end-time events and the fulfillment of biblical prophecy and things that are actually representing the fulfillment of that prophecy. Many things could happen that we would see setting the stage for uh, the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, but not the actual fulfillment itself. And when it comes to the quote-unquote blood moons, in Joel 2, beginning in verse 28, talking about the sun being darkened and the moon being turned to blood before the uh, coming of the great and terrible or great and awesome day of the Lord, when you read that passage in Joel 2, when you read Jesus referring to the same issue in Matthew 24, and then you see the fulfillment of that is his visions in Revelation chapter 6, what you get the sense of is that these are, one, miraculous events, not natural events. If they were natural events, then they wouldn't be assigned because they've happened many times in history. Secondly, if the uh, moon is uh, turning to blood, quote-unquote, turning red, and the sun is being darkened, which many of these people are saying refers to a solar eclipse, the fact is, from a scientific perspective and knowing astronomy, those two events, the sun being darkened, a solar eclipse, and the moon being turned red, or a full lunar eclipse, those can only appear two weeks apart, whereas Joel 2, Matthew 24, and Revelation 6, all three seem to suggest 
that these things are happening simultaneously. So there's no way, in my view, that these can be a fulfillment of prophecy or even an indication of the fulfillment of prophecy about to take place. David, another problem is that although clearly nothing at all happened in connection with these lunar eclipses, these guys who are propagating this information still have ministries and they have strong followings. I mean, this is troubling. I would agree with you, and I think it's it's really tragic because I think there are two things that happen. One is that they gain a big following, they maintain a big following, and I'm not going after motives. The Lord knows the heart. But the fact is, many of these guys are lining their pockets as well as the pockets of their publishers and their ministries by doing this sensational quote-unquote, prophesying with regard to these things, and a lot of people fall into this trap. In fact, you and I are both aware that there are a lot of people who become these people who continually chase the most recent thing that's going on in the prophecy world. They get upset. Some people have sold all their belongings. Uh, Going back to Harold Camping, there are even reports that people actually took their lives, committed suicide, because what they prophesied didn't take place, and and people became disillusioned. And, And part of that disillusionment is that people actually turn away from solid prophecy teachers, of which, you know, I would certainly consider you one. Andy Woods, uh, any number of other guys who are responsible Bible prophecy teachers, and they turn away and say, well, these guys never get it right, and, and we all get lumped together. David, the video we talked about earlier also mentioned earthquakes in Israel, trying to tie those earthquakes to end times events as well. That's true, and I actually did some research on earthquakes in Israel. In fact, there is a website called Earthquake Trap. Dot com, and it lists the number of earthquakes in Israel. And so it talks about seven days ago, for example, there was a 2.9 mag- magnitude earthquake, and you can go down through three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, seven years ago. And the fact is, Israel sits on the Rift Valley, which goes from northern Israel all the way down into Africa. It's part of the continental plates. And so, of course, Israel is going to be one of those high earthquake regions of the world. And in fact, we know when the Lord returns, there's going to be a major earthquake that is going to split the Mount of Olives, and it's going to open up a path all the way to the Jezreel Valley. But the fact that there are all these earthquakes going on, they've been going on for years, and even if they may be increasing, we can't tie that with a direct connection to end times prophecy. It's a natural part of what is happening on the earth, just as the lunar eclipses are natural events. Well, David, as we wrap it up, could you just briefly run through the end-time scenario as laid out in the Word of God? Sure. First of all, I would say that as both you and I teach everywhere we go, that the next event on God's prophetic calendar, meaning there are no intervening prophetic events that 
must take place prior to this event, and that is the rapture of the Church. Then there will be a certain period of time where there is going to be a rise and a revival of the ancient Roman Empire based upon Daniel chapter 2, and then there will be an, a confirmation of a treaty that has already been drawn up. It will be confirmed, according to Daniel 9.27, by the man who will lead the uh, revived Roman Empire that we know as the Antichrist or the Beast of Revelation chapter 7, then the temple will be rebuilt, the third temple, and at the midpoint of the tribulation, day 1260, the Antichrist will enter into the temple, declare himself to be God, and people will be forced to worship him around the world. At the end of the tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week, day 2,520, Jesus Christ will return, the Battle of Armageddon will take place, all unbelievers will die, believers at that time will live into the tribulation, Jesus will set up his kingdom on the throne of David, which will last for a thousand years. That is the big picture scenario of what the Word of God says. Well, I've been studying Bible prophecy here at the Central Pennsylvania Bible Conference They were calling it a renewed look at Bible prophecy, so I took the book of Revelation and went through it. Everybody's had a teaching or either taught the book of Revelation. Most do it incorrectly. They do it numerically. It must be done chronologically. And actually, David, I believe our conversation today was so important to help the body of Christ stop and recognize. It's not events. It's what God's Word said. That's the absolute authority, not what any prophecy teacher, Jimmy DeYoung or anybody else, has to say. It's what God's Word says. Hey, thank you, David, for your research and the conversation today. I think a very important topic. Thanks so much, Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at the book about everything we've talked today with our broadcast partners about. We'll look at it in what the Word of God has to say. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. 
I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Our broadcast partners came to this broadcast table with great information about what is happening in this world, and then they gave us further details, giving us insight as to how these events may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This is a unique opportunity that each of us have in order to hear what these men have to say, the insight into the event unfolding, and then put it together as I take a look at the book with the prophetic scenario that's found in Bible prophecy. Now, if you had to miss any of my conversations with my broadcast partners today, You can go to that website and listen to any and all of the broadcast partner reports if you need to do that. You go to prophecytoday.com and there you can listen to all the reports from the broadcast partners. Let me give you my prophetic perspective on these events as we rehearse what the broadcast partners had to say. Ken Timmerman in the Washington, D.C. area reported that President Trump is headed to a summit with the Iranian President Rouhani. Now, we don't know if that's absolute as of yet. By the way, this was done, and the Israeli leadership, Prime Minister Netanyahu, an American official, got to the Prime Minister to say no change in policy with Iran as it relates to the United States. In Bible prophecy, you can find Iran mentioned as Persia in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5. They will be a part of an Islamic coalition that will come together in the first six months of the tribulation period and endeavor to try to wipe out Israel and do away with the Jewish state that their name be forgotten forever. The leader of that coalition, that alignment of nations, is going to be Russia. That's Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 2. This coalition also mentioned in Daniel chapter 11 verse 44 when it talks about some kind of commotion coming out of the east. Remember, Iran is east of Israel. And then David Dolan, he gave us his Middle East news update and his lead story, Hamas is saying, Hamas, of course, the terrorist organization in the Gaza Strip, they are saying that their protests are peaceful. And then in the next breath, they call for killing all the Jews. This is the Palestinian-Israeli conflict that many of the prophets in the Word of God talk about. In fact, there's more prophecy against the Palestinian people than any other people group in all the world. Let me give you some examples. Malachi chapter 1, where it says that the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, the Palestinian people of today, will return and rebuild. And the Lord says, I will call your borders the borders of wickedness and having indignation against you forever. 
Ezekiel chapter 35 and verse 5 says that these people, the Palestinian people, referred to as Mount Seir in the passage, will rise up and kill the Jewish people. And then verse 10 says these Palestinian terrorists will steal the land of the Jewish people, the land that God has given them. Little book of Obadiah says that these Palestinians, the descendants of Esau, will be wiped out as if they have never been. Now, that's a key region of the world, the Middle East, helping us to understand how prophecy is coming together. But the other very important region is the European Union. And John Rood, our man who covers that, he had a European Union update for us. His number one lead story, Brexit or Armageddon. Brexit, of course, is the desire by Great Britain to pull out of the European Union. It's really not coming together as they hoped it would. And in fact, they're describing it as Armageddon. That's a misspeak. That is not what Armageddon is going to be about. It's going to be the major war of all wars. And it's talked about in the book of Revelation. It's dealt with in chapter 19. But when you talk about the European Union, that's Daniel chapter 2, the ten toes referring to the revived Roman Empire. And then in Daniel chapter 7, the ten horns, the same thing. The revived Roman Empire comes into existence led by the Antichrist with an effort to destroy the Jewish state. All that's happening in the European Union is, as I say often, setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Mike Gendron gave us a report of Pope Francis calling for unity among Christians. That seems ironic since the Catholic Church is not a way that somebody can come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and most likely the Pope is not even saved himself, and the city where he operates out of, Rome, Italy, according to Revelation chapter 17 and verse 9, the seven-hilled city, the city of Rome, Italy, will be the headquarters for the mother-son cult that was established in Babylon. Bottom line, that will be the headquarters for the false church. And what the Pope is endeavoring to do is bringing that false church together. David James and I talked about blood moons and earthquakes. Many earthquakes taking place in the last couple of weeks there in Israel. The blood moon, of course, the longest blood moon which was a lunar eclipse taking place just about a week ago. Very interesting activities, but they're referred to sometimes in Bible prophecy passages. For example, Joel chapter 2, it talks about a blood moon. Acts 2, Peter on the day of Pentecost, referring back to Joel 2, not saying that that time was a fulfillment, But Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12 is the fulfillment of that blood moon. And I've got to remind you that the events talked about in Joel 2 and Revelation 6 happen within the time of the tribulation period. It's that seven-year period of time between the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus Christ. The rapture, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. The return, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and following. Those 16 chapters between those two passages telling us what the tribulation period will be like, and it will include blood moons and earthquakes. Well, all of the above-mentioned items have been a part of setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. 
these prophecies mentioned are going to be fulfilled, not today, but in the future, and in fact, in the very near future. But let me also hasten to tell you, the first of all prophecies yet to be fulfilled will be the rapture of the church. And my dear friend, that rapture could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.